Welcome to Playwright, a podcast about creating and sharing new ways to play. My name is Ryan Hammond. You can call me H. And I'm Ryan Quintel. You can call me Q. We've, uh, it's been a little while since we've recorded. I think if I can get this edit turned around tomorrow, then, uh, we don't have to miss a week as, uh, as, uh, per the listeners experience, but it has been a couple weeks that we've been away from podcasting for one reason or another. So excuse us if we're a bit rusty, but we're getting back in the swing of things and hoping to pick up the regular schedule from here on out. It has the knock-on consequence. First of all, I apologize because I know that means it's going to be a barn burner for you to put this thing together. Oh, but no, it's the, fine. <laughs> uh, the, it also has the knock-on effect, uh, H, of um, making this the most or contemporary episode people have heard in a while. So if you want to know how we're doing currently our answers will actually be as close to true as they are on any episode of this show uh no delay in what you're what you're getting that's right we're not going to be talking about the nintendo partner mini direct this time around <laughs> uh, we're a bit more up to date now we have seen the gamescom opening night live that's at right. this point um trying to think of anything more contemporaneous that's happened uh it was announced today yeah this is pretty Contemporary. Uh, it was announced today that we're getting an Xbox showcase at TGS um, on oh, September okay, 24th. Cool. So those of us who have been waiting for some Xbox news, like, I don't know, price and <laughs> the, the consoles <laughs> coming out, uh, or the fact that like 100 things now print Xbox Series S on them, I'd sure like to hear a couple more details before I... Uh, I saw I saw Sony is just like letting you sign up to get the privilege to pre-order eventually, still without saying what the price is, which is it's we've gone off yeah. the rails this time, haven't we? I think whether the news about the price is hard or easy to take, when you when both companies wait for so long, it starts to fill, I think in my mind and some consumers' mind, the if they don't want like it's like a um your partner wants to talk to you in a relationship or something like if you putting off the news this long, yeah. maybe you don't have something good to tell me. And that makes me more worried than maybe the actual price. It's, I mean, it's just a game of chicken at this point. They're looking at each other saying like, this feels like a lot of money. What is the other one going to do? Right. right. Are they going to soften the blow or are we going to have to do something to, uh, to kind of skirt the message a bit? It'll be interesting for sure. Anyways, uh, let's get into some fanciful false video game ideas. Uh, I believe that you are going first today. What are you bringing us? Well, I wanted to pitch this week a hybrid between uh, the Go series like Hitman Go, Laura Croft Go, and Pac-Man. So hmm. I was imagining kind of this mobile game where you have more of a Pac-Man-esque maze and you kind of swipe and every time you swipe in a direction pac-man kind of goes in that direction of the maze and of course the ghosts potentially move around to like a guard and a hitman level or something but you bring in the incorporate some elements of maybe there's a high score so you want to eat as many pellets as you can get a hold of so that kind of makes you need to go back and loop around and revisit spots on this maze or even get power pellets so you can temporarily eat the ghosts all right let's go ahead and start the clock there so i think uh if we think about the transition that would have to be made from a 
typical Pac-Man style game into this kind of go type of experience, which, um, you know, Pac-Man in recent years, and I guess probably ever since the early two thousands, I mean, probably earlier than that as well, but, uh, most notably, um, more recently has been, uh, uh, kind of subject of a number of reinterpretations lately in uh, really fantastic ways. Uh, I love the Pac-Man Championship Edition series. Yeah. I love uh, Pac-Man, was it 256? Uh, with um, uh, kind of a, the uh, phone game that has, uh, it kind oh, of turns Pac-Man like, into uh, like an endless runner type of game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, uh, the makers of uh, Crossy Road did that one, right? Yeah, right. And then, of course, back on the GameCube, we we got that multiplayer Pac-Man game um, where other players can play as ghosts trying to hunt down the Pac-Man. But uh, I think the the biggest transformation that you're kind of talking about here is making Pac-Man turn-based in a way, which I think is interesting. Yeah. Uh, one of the things that I, you know, as you, and I encourage people while they kind of listen to this, maybe go watch a... Uh, Hitman or Laura Croft go uh, gameplay because I was watching this in the lead up to uh, our conversation. But it is very, you know, it is almost a Pac Man maze already. And mm-hmm. so, of course, it is in 3D and all this stuff. And I do like the idea of maybe even flattening it down to 2D, although that might be a little less visually interesting. I, I do like the idea of maybe bringing in some more Pac Man esque movements to things and that being something like maybe on certain paths there's no like stopping dot or stopping point and so pac-man keeps traveling along the path um but every time he crosses thresholds like the ghosts get to move but he's only moving in a straight line or or maybe there's ways to score like two moves at once so pac-man can round a corner or something in one move that kind of way that when you're playing in an arcade uh, when you see Pac-Man approaching a turn, you might start holding that direction moments before uh, that turn happens to sort of force Pac-Man down a particular path. And I'm I'm wondering if there's ways to bring those sorts of anticipatory movement mechanics to this kind of turn-based Pac-Man experience. I think we, I mean, obviously we aren't the first to say this, but um, it's one of the like really interesting kind of trivia facts about Pac-Man is that each of the four ghosts have their own uh, separate kind of AI patterns, the way that they try to chase Pac-Man down. Uh, one of them just kind of pursues Pac-Man in the kind of most direct route through the maze that the ghost can take to get to back behind Pac-Man. Uh, there's one that <clears throat> that follows kind of a similar route, but towards a point that is like a few inches in front of Pac-Man and set it behind him. And so, uh, you know, the route will vary because they're chasing after different points at uh, at the same time. And then there's another one that um, runs away from Pac-Man, actively uh, seeks to avoid Pac-Man, but just due to the nature of the maze, ends up getting in the way multiple times anyways. And then one that just moves completely randomly. And so, you know, this could be this could be a great way to learn like on a very kind of approachable turn-based way, learn these patterns and really kind of master them that might translate into the full speed game um, really nicely. But uh, you know, this could be done in a, I want to say like a Donnie Darko kind of way where they, there's a little trail that extends in front of 
the ghosts in their various colors. They kind of show where they are going. There's a mechanic like that in Pac-Man Championship Edition 2. When um, when you eat the power pellet, you're on the hunt. Um, it doesn't show you exactly where the ghosts are going, but it shows you kind of a kind of a pathway that they're constrained to stay within. And you can try to intercept that pathway and then they'll try to avoid you, but they have to stay on their path. And so you can try to, you know, cut them off that way. But, um, you know, there's, I, I, yeah, I think it would be interesting to show kind of a, uh, a vector of where they're heading so that you can kind of view this as like a real turn-based strategy board game in a way. Yeah, I think that's cool. I mean, especially if you start incorporating in kind of spots on this little map that uh, make fruit appear, right? And you give yourself like little challenge goals to like go out of your way, put yourself in in danger, um, just like Pac-Man would have to in order to pick up your bunch of bananas or whatever. (laughs) And maybe there's even, you know, you have mechanics where uh, there are sort of one side of the map to the other side of the map portals. So you can quickly Mm -hmm. move around levels. And I like the idea of, I don't know if the Go series did this. I don't think it did, but rate Pac-Man or rate you based on how few swipes it took you to clear all the dots on the map. Uh, yeah, I've never seen that before, but that's, uh, that's an interesting way to go about it. I know in uh, the Championship Edition series, there's, instead of filling kind of every possible spot in the labyrinth with dots that you're clearing out, it kind of just fills like, one pathway at a time. And so you really, you know, there really is like one route through the level. Um, it's just kind of a matter of mastering the kind of the precise inputs that are required to, uh, to get you to follow that, that pathway. But then again, like it teaches you the best patterns to look out for when you are playing an actual Pac-Man maze and those skills do kind of transfer upwards. I also wonder, I know that the go games are, they're all these little board game sized things. Um, and so, you know, the, the level of complication, one of these maps maybe doesn't go too far beyond, uh, I don't know, even a, a 10 by 10 grid of, of dots, even though there are sort of obstacles and complications along the way. So I, I, I wonder what happens if you put something like that on almost make it a, a roguelike, uh, or something where, uh, there actually is a full Pac-Man maze size level of complexity to it. And instead of doing Mm -hmm. multiple levels, it's kind of, can you actually clear the entire Pac-Man maze turn by turn? Another kind of fun presentation aspect of the Go games that I'm kind of, you know, I think it's kind of too bad that they uh, moved away from, I I think the, uh, the animation in uh, Lara Croft Go and in uh, Deus Ex Go is very good, but I miss the uh, kind of, board game uh you know chess piece type of way that uh hitman go looks where everything is kind of like a piece carved out and they're all like little porcelain board game pieces that that don't move individually but it's uh yeah it's just um it's a nice aesthetic and it it, maybe the pac-man likeness is too simple to translate to something like that really well but um yeah i don't know i i would like the uh at least the supposition that this is something that you could theoretically you know create in real life and play like an actual board game yeah i mean i love the idea of uh not even anthropomorphize but rather skewamorphize uh 
Pac-Man and the ghosts as like, I, I'm almost thinking of the shiny plasticky pieces you might see in a game of like Sorry or something like that and having them play out and gosh, that, may, that makes me think that like Monopoly Go would actually be a, an interesting <laughs> kind of take on things. Uh, how fast can you purchase property and, and build an empire and uh, turn by turn? But uh, the, I guess Monopoly's already turn-based, but um, I like the idea of taking the taking the pac-man aesthetic adding some physicality to it and actually getting in like i know some of the pac-man games have attempted to make pac-man into 3d and uh that 256 also had an attempt but it was also isometric and so i'm wondering if you don't take that pac-man and make it like a true rotatable kind of level that you can actually feel like you can zoom in and see Maybe little details we've never been able to see before in Pac-Man's world. Maybe it's a little Tron world in there or something. Yeah, I think that wraps up the uh, amount of time that we have on that one. So let's uh, bring that one to a close. But yeah, before we uh, before we close it out, let's give it a name. Like, is Pac-Man Go just what <laughs> you want to call it? I mean, I, I guess we could. Easy. Yeah, why not? Uh, I like Pac-Man Go. I like, uh Yeah. Sure, we bring back, we've resurrected the Go series. What a legacy on this show. <laughs> You're welcome, Internet. That's right. A reminder, everyone, with the election coming up to Pac-Man Go to the polls. Oh, that's right. <laughs> or you will be hit, man. <laughs> or we will indeed send Agent 47 after you. <laughs> no kidding. All right, um, let's go on to my pitch. Today, I am putting forward, have you ever played the phone game called zen bound love zen bound yeah that's one of the really early ones it's kind of lost prominence and i don't even know if you can get the first zen bound anymore it might just be the sequel on phones these days but uh, i think you're right yeah I, I remember it being a the first time it was one of the first like marquee games for the ipad as well yeah. saying like look at zen bound on this big 10 inch screen yeah it's a lovely game super interesting concept that i'm kind of surprised i don't really see anywhere anymore <laughs> it's too bad but uh yeah um, cool concept. What I want to do with it is kind of a similar type of thing, but you play like a little vehicle that's kind of driving or flying around the surface of, you know, kind of complex objects, basically trying to tie it up. So I don't know if we are painting things in the way that Zenbound does or whether we are trying to, you know, tie up like a human, uh, kind of like a Gulliver's Travels type of thing, but um, I guess it's up up to us to figure out. So we're going to start the clock there. I like this idea. One of the things I think is cool about it is where my mind goes is it's it, it almost like harkens to uh, Splatoon or Splatoon, um, mm -hmm. where uh, you're painting around these levels. But if you zoom way in, because Zenbound, you're kind of seeing the whole object and you zoom way in and set it in like a Mario Kart-esque type of cart or vehicle. Wasn't there, there was recently a racing game where like you're sort of painting trails behind you, right? And you want your teammates to follow in those trails. Yeah, there was a game called, uh, was it just called Trailblazer? Let me look this up. I know that that was also, could could very well be. Anyways, if it isn't Trailblazers, I apologize. And there's also a game called Trail Makers, which is more like a modern indie spin on the lego racing and banjo kazooie nuts and bolts legacy so i'm trying not to get the two of them mixed up but uh the uh painting feature was also 
um, incorporated into the recent uh, Team Sonic racing as a way of kind of, you know, going a little bit slower, painting a trail behind you and um, letting other members of your team use that trail as a boost mechanic, which I remember very specifically because that was one of the first instances of uh, playwright getting to an idea before the actual developers did. <laughs> Take that, Team Sonic Racing. Uh... <laughs> um, and and I, I don't know if the sequels Unbound 2 even messed with... Um, I think it did still mess with colorization, but you were also supposed to wrap the... For people that haven't played these games, you're you're essentially taking a very long um, rope, and you have a um, an object that's kind of like carved out of metal or wood, and you're 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 essentially rotating the object until the um, rope touches all the appropriate nails and kind of fully wraps around the object. And I I don't know if you're scored based on how few centimeters of of string you kind of use to wrap it, but it is this kind of very relaxing experience. And so obviously being in a vehicle may not have the tendency of being relaxing, but I like the idea of what if we're in a race car and in the same way that you can sort of, you're throwing paint behind you as you move forward, but actually like when you reverse, why don't we let you kick a little paint in front of you as well? So you get some, uh, a little bit more control over like, Oh, I'm just, I almost have to make a jump or something, or I have to, you know, pull off kind of an interesting maneuver in order to uh, throw paint forward onto a surface. A couple of other points of reference I want to throw into the mix here. You know, I kind of got the uh, the thought of Monster Hunter when you have the little insect weapon that kind of follows you around and flies around behind you. It would be so fun if you could use that insect to kind of fly around and uh, tie up the monsters and try to, you know, get their wings under control, tie their legs together, tie the the muzzle of the mouth so they're not able to breathe fire but there's so many dangerous portions of this monster that you know really trying to prioritize while it's trying to struggle loose while it's trying not to be tied up you know how to appropriately kind of get this thing uh lassoed um on that kind of larger than life scale in a way yeah. on that scale note uh you know obviously that would translate very well into the uh kind of AT-AT fight from countless Star Wars video games where you're tying up the legs like you did in Empire (laughs) Strikes Back. Or even, um, in a way, like this got me thinking of Blast Core, where you're kind of, you know, it's a very different type of objective where in Blast Core you are driving through buildings to to try to kind of clear a path for a, uh, like an out-of-control nuclear warhead on a train uh, to go through without hitting buildings and exploding, you know. But it's it's very much kind of like a very zoomed out perspective. You feel small in that uh, the vehicle that you have feels too small for the job that you have to do. But there are so many different types of vehicles and so much variety in the gameplay that uh, you know it. Um, you you get the sense of uh, of the world around you and the danger just because of how small on screen you are. I think what's cool, and it's funny that you mentioned Blastcore because I think Blastcore has. Um, a couple levels that are very much a Pac-Man maze uh, inside of them. But uh, the, the what's interesting about this, the AT-AT fight and Luke wrapping the legs of that robot is, and maybe this is, you know, a big robot battler or something like that, but it's using the sort of physics of the enemy against it. And I'm wondering now if you go into this Monster Hunter way of thinking, or, um, or may- maybe you're a vehicle that can actually just 
or several different types of vehicles that have these different sort of bounding mechanics, whether one can kind of shoot one of those spinning weighted to, you know what I'm talking about when they like weight either side of a rope oh, yeah, and it's yeah. meant to quickly wrap around a thing, but you develop all these kind of binding based um, tools and then you get these really monster hunter like big physicsy, maybe even shadow the Colossus like monsters, right? That yeah. I think that's kind of the scale you're even aiming for. And your job is to, is to wrangle them, but not kill them. Right. And, um, like you're not here to, to actually harm these creatures, but you do need to, uh, bind them up so that you can get them to a safe distance. It's almost giving me like Evangelion vibes minus the, um, weird violence in that show. So, um, if you do that, then you can also have these battles take place over a large open space. And so like, maybe you don't want to tie up a monster's legs and have them fall into water or they could drown or something like that. And so you're, you're constantly trying to read like, where's it going to be safe? It's almost like cutting down a tree. Like which way can I get this monster to fall? So they're going to be able to be uh, bound up in a non-lethal way. Yeah. That's an interesting aspect as well. You know, even if, um, I mean, to go back to the Gulliver's travels, uh, kind of point of reference that we talked about earlier, like, you know, you're not, maybe you aren't, you know, able to kind of drive around this creature. Like it was a geometry wars three type of level, but, uh, Instead, maybe you are kind of bound to the ground and instead of using kind of a sword and climbing like you would in uh, Shadow of the Colossus, you're primarily kind of using ropes to try to take these monsters down to keep them pacified. Um, a real kind of a non-lethal pacification for these giant monsters. Yeah, could you imagine like if you have some of these mini little uh, ropes that are just meant to quickly like tie up a small thing and you're on a creature that has... I don't know, maybe they've got like valves or something on their body that like, um, uh, you know, helps them breathe, but like, you don't want to kill the monster by cutting off all their air, but you know, if you can like close up or tie up, uh, five, you know, you know, half of these things that you're going to slow the monster way down because it's going to have a diminished breathing capacity and that's going to buy you time to do the next thing. Or, you know, if you just, if you're able to do one thing, a smaller thing and accomplish that, then you can do that. And <laughs> I don't know, I don't think Shadow of the Colossus, I didn't, I haven't played it, shame on me, but the, I do like the idea of maybe a monster battle being epic enough that you might find yourself saving, like returning to the battle. <laughs> Another time I'm like, yeah, I'm in the middle mm. of this boss fight, man. It is, uh, it's like a two hour boss fight, like the Gran Turismo, uh, endurance race or something. It'd be interesting having to kind of find ways to distract the monster or to keep it tied down so that you can set up camp and sleep through the night. Right. And, and you could like, um, you know, you'd have like it's almost like a straitjacket technique or a handcuffing technique yeah. of like, if you don't secure different points of the rope or the, the cable or whatever um, to the proper points on the monster that are going to be, that aren't going to like fall off. Like if you just tie it to a scale or something, maybe the scales can come off the monster. You don't know until you attempt to do it. And there's, there's kind of that aspect of like, 
figuring out, okay, just how strong is this creature? Where are their joints articulating? And then therefore, where are the vulnerable points? That's a good one. I think that's all the time that we have on that one. Let's give it a name. Ooh, H, I want to play this game. Um, I feel like a, a nice mashup here would be The Binding of the Colossus. <laughs> oh, okay. I, I'm, I'm, I'm totally there. The Binding of the Colossus. This is a sequel. You've, you, we've pitched the sequel, haven't we? Uh, yeah, of to which game, I'm not exactly sure, but <laughs> exactly. Uh, that could be worked out in post. <laughs> That's right. Depending on the art style, I think we could go either way. All right. Um, let's get on to a listener correspondence. This was written in, and uh, we are, as always, going to be pitching and workshopping something from the community. If you would like to email in something yourself, you can do so. Uh, We'll give you all of our emails and website form after this segment. So this one comes from Ashton Herman, who says, Hey, playwright, it's been a while since my last pitch, and I think I've come up with something that's just zany enough to work. Monkey Island Battle Royale. At the start of the match, 100 would-be pirates fall into the ground by by way of a rubber chicken or a pulley and immediately begin pixel hunting for items they'll need to defeat their opponents. Maybe combat is entirely based on the series Insult Sword Fighting, and insults are actually among the loot that you can find randomly placed throughout the map, somewhere deep in the Caribbean, of course. Or maybe combat is real-time, and the insults are implemented in some other way. Instead of grenades, you would have deteriorating mugs of grog. Instead of vehicles, jump pads, or Apex Legend balloons, you travel quickly via launching yourself from cannons. Instead of guns, you have... Well, I guess they're still guns, but they're like muskets or whatever, piratey ones. I can picture a game that looks and feels a lot like Sea of Thieves, but doesn't have to. What do you guys think? All right, let's start the clock. Wow, that that last line uh, is so true, Ashton, in that, like... Sea of Thieves is is exactly what Monkey Island would probably look like now, except for the, I mean, there's obviously some stylistic stuff that just Sea of Thieves doesn't paint in, but uh, yeah, in terms of like lighting and that sort of stuff, that's that's where my head goes. Yeah, so we've been kind of requested uh, and we've done ourselves several battle royale games, oftentimes kind of mixing in other genres. I think we did a golfing one a while back that was one of my favorites, but um uh, we've never done a point-and-click adventure battle royale. So that's really the the challenge here, is how do we take <laughs> yeah. the aspects of that genre? And uh, I think there's there's stuff to be done. There's a lot of adaptable pub- puzzle solving. Um, but how do we keep it engaging for repeat plays? How do we utilize the... Maybe there's, maybe there's kind of a... Uh, like a set of... Um, you know, all the the puzzle solutions are all kind of built around like simple machines, you know, pulleys and levers and yeah. um, incline planes and stuff like that. Uh, you ha- have to build these kind of little combination machines to perform these actions, almost like a banjo kazooie nuts and bolts in a way. But the objects that you collect, instead of just being raw materials that are easy to snap together like Lego bricks, they would be kind of common mundane everyday objects so you'd have to kind of see through the artifice and find the function within and then when you come to you know a particular challenge then you would know to assemble you know something from this category something from that category to make whatever it is that you're trying to produce but i don't know if that's really true to the spirit uh or if that would make for 
an engaging long time uh, play session. But um, yeah, I don't know. I think one of the things that you could like the the pressure and the loop of dropping in to PUBG or what have you, then you get you immediately just start like looking for shit and picking it up, just picking it up, picking it up, picking it up. And so I think you would have to basically take, it's like, what if an adventure game were really, you know, a maximum of 30 minutes long. So you, while you could make the world maybe closer to monkey Island size, I think the thing that you'd want to do is place, you know, several of the same objects essentially, um, and make the puzzle solutions a little quicker slash more obvious of like, okay, well, this house had three keys in it. So I'm just going to go around like using keys and getting into other places or that sort of stuff. And so now you, you create that, you create that like loot urgency immediately upon drop and know that, uh, items are very usable in multiple scenarios. I think that would help. And that, and then I think the thing that I'll add to this is that I think when like, Monkey Island, many adventure games, they've got a real sense of place, right? So I do think you could design it such that people understand where they are in kind of, I don't know if 3D space is the right thing, but maybe XY coordinate space. Thinking about this a little bit more, it wouldn't be entirely dissimilar from like a Battle Royale, Breath of the Wilds type of game. Maybe, and this this could be kind of a fun twist, instead of a battle royale where everyone kind of begins on a giant remote map where people can hide from each other and you're trying not to be seen. It's a little bit more, I mean, uh, I feel like modern day Fortnite is, you know, really kind of moving in this direction and encouraging the style of play where it's kind of what people do see each other. They walk past each other. There are quests that they are trying to accomplish um, there's NPCs that they can interact with. There's puzzles for them to solve. And then the rewards are like one musket shot or something like that. And so you see people around you and you are sometimes even working together to try to solve some of these puzzles. And you have that kind of, you know, recognition of other people sharing this space together. But there's this kind of invisible risk that they could have a musket shot and they could be ready to jump you and to take all your resources. And, you know, maybe, uh, maybe the resources kind of explode from you when you get shot. And so, you know, they want to do it somewhere that's kind of remote. So they're trying to kind of lure you away from other pirates that could, you know, want the treasure themselves, but it's a, a real kind of a tense, Battle Royale, which I'm honestly, this right now in 2020 is not the, uh, not the appropriate time to launch a game like that. Of <laughs> you don't know who has a gun and it might shoot you. Like, yeah. I feel like that, uh, rings a little bit too true these days, but, uh, purely on a mechanical level, I could see it being an interesting multiplayer experience. Well, and I think the, uh, just the, think about the novelty of walking into a screen in an adventure game, seeing another character there. And that is another player. Like I, maybe that has happened in the history of games that I, I don't really entirely know about. Maybe that was how some people did the earliest MMOs or whatever, but adventure games are very often just you talking to these, you know, often pre-placed set pieces 
uh, in the world almost there just for exposition, right? Like there's always the person always standing in the same place in the village or whatever that you can talk to. And sometimes people move around, but the, the idea of you get into a room and you see another player there um, and you can see both cursors that are like accurately tracked <laughs> on screen. Um, and so you're both scrambling to pixel hunt like Ashton talked about here and like, um, you know, open the secret door or open the secret chest or whatever. Um, maybe the other person got to it before you. Maybe that it's a pixel they haven't clicked yet. But I do like the idea of having that. Like, are you going to try and get something out of the room or are you going to select the person? And maybe in which case we put you into a monkey island like conversation with that person. And, uh, you know, one of the options are use item X. Maybe it could just be as simple as like throw a can at this person and that that uh, makes them lose their turn or skip an action or something like that. And obviously, like, I think it's difficult within the multiplayer space a lot of the time unless you're going for pure physical comedy, but I would like to incorporate some of that, you know, the kind of wittiness of Monkey Island as well. Make this a funny game to read as well as to play. Um, and I don't know exactly how to kind of proceduralize those types of jokes. It might just be writing a ton of them more than, uh, than could be expected. But I, I guess we have seen uh, Fall Guys recently as a popular kind of multi massively multiplayer uh comedy game so yeah it, it, it definitely can work yeah i do like the idea too of <laughs> of kind of maybe there's some way to disguise that you're a player and there's that sort of standoff standoff moment where you're talking with someone and you're not sure if they're an npc or if they're a player if they're going to if they're just pretending to be friendly and so you give players like pre-written dialogue that they can select as a response instead of an action and allow you to just like, oh, okay, well, I just talked to this person. They seem like an NPC or whatever, so I'm just going to leave. But I suspect that's a person and then they leave the house right after you and shoot you in the back or something. I think there's a certain kind of, certain kind of fun to think that everyone around you is also kind of scrambling uh, in the same way that you are. Um, it's kind of like a in World of Warcraft, like I, th I feel like part of the energy is just seeing everyone else move like humans, and so I don't mind there being NPC quest givers, um, just as ways of kind of grounding the story. But uh, you know, I think the funny thing about Monkey Island is that you know Guybrush is going on an adventure in a world that is otherwise fairly static, and he's the one that's kind of like hopping around from place to place in a town in which everyone else is just kind of like has lazily given up on their own lives the, like there could be fun in exploring what that would look like if he wasn't the only adventurer if there were others that were kind of competing for the spot of uh, of mighty pirate that he's trying to represent yeah. we are coming up on time so let's go ahead and close that down and let's uh let's find a way to name this one so uh past monkey island games have been uh, all followed a fairly similar format of being usually the blank of Monkey Island. So we've had uh, The Secret of Monkey Island, Escape from Monkey Island. Uh, Monkey Island 2 LeChuck's Revenge is kind of a different uh, thing, but there was the, uh, what was it? The Curse of Monkey Island and Tales of Monkey Island. So it would uh, kind of fit into that format. 
Battle for Monkey Island, maybe. Yeah, yeah which actually has a little bit of uh, Battle for the Planet of the Apes vibe to it. <laughs> Battle for the Planet of the Island. Um, I think Battle, Battle for, for Monkey Island, Island is pretty good because it, it even has the word island in it. Very good. Thank you very much, Ashton Herman, for sending that one in. This whole episode, we've really crushed the sequels, huh? We've got a Monkey yeah, Island right. sequel. We've got a potentially Shadow of the Colossus or Binding of Isaac sequel. We've got a Pac-Man sequel. This is the sequel show, baby! That's how you can tell we are truly out of ideas. <laughs> <laughs> uh, thank you very much, Ashton, for sending that one in. You can send in uh, an uh, original idea of your own that we will workshop together here on uh, Playwright. Uh, you can write in to playwrightcast.com slash pitch. You can tweet us at playwrightcast or you can email us playwrightcast at gmail.com. Special thank you to Protodome for the use of our theme song, Hello World, off the album Blue Noise. And while you're listening to things, go listen to the great shows on the Canon Roots Network, like The Sausage Factory, like Sound of Play, listen to some music, chill out. It's a stressful time. And hey, why not Canon Roots deep dive breakdowns reviews of games post all the hype and only to the gems all right uh to close out the show today i believe that you are delivering a redacted game okay i think i'm i think i've got that good energy that could stump you this time here we go (laughs) redacted the brutally funny debut title from redacted takes the redacted tradition of groundbreaking innovative original gameplay and humorous tongue-in-cheek storytelling to an entirely new setting, Redacted. As a Redacted, you'll laugh and cringe as you stand up to Redacted, get Redacted on by Redacted, Redacted on Malicious Redacted, uh, win or lose the girl, and ultimately learn to navigate the obstacles of the Redacted Redacted. Wow, um, not much pitch left there. All right, uh... (laughs) Let's see. So this seems heavily story focused um, in that there is a a girl to be one in the traditional story sense. Not. Yeah. 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 But uh, also there seems to be a heavy kind of comedy element and it is a debut title from whatever team put this together so with those things in mind i'm gonna i'm gonna start with the guess in the blue and then we can start getting some additional information possibly how about um how about deponia deponia it is not deponia um here are some awards and rankings oh man if i tell you these though it's gonna tell the platform too maybe do you want me to obfuscate the platform if you feel that the platform would be giving me too much information, <laughs> then you can leave it out. I will say it is the number six best game of its platform in 2006. It is the number three most discussed game on its platform of 2006, and the number five most shared game on its platform of 2006. Okay, 2006, we were in the... GameCube, Xbox, PlayStation 2. That is right. That would have been a year after Psychonauts. So, you know, good time for for comedy games. Could you uh could you give me some of those uh some of the verbs in the description again? Let me get a sense of what we're actually doing in this game. Yeah, um 
you'll laugh and cringe as you stand up to X uh, redacted, get redacted on by redacted. <laughs> Sorry. Redacted on malicious redacted. Win or lose the girl and ultimately learn to navigate the obstacles of the redacted redacted. The obstacles. That sounds non-literal obstacles. That sounds like that sounds like a you know learning to ob, uh, learning to navigate the obstacles of the office work life environment yeah, or whatever. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. I think that's right. That's a good read on okay. that. Okay. Um, I could read you. Well, I'll let you take a guess, and then I'll give you a ten and a zero. Why don't you go ahead and give me the ten and the zero? I think that would be helpful. <laughs> okay. Uh, a ten is one of the most enjoyable original this platform games ever excellent soundtrack and a game worth playing for years <laughs> uh, i have to redact a couple things from this but i think it's fine. it's fine horrible uh the zero horrible graphics lacking plot line bad character develop- development is what makes this horrible game an outcast of all redacted products and what's sad is I heard number two is coming. Oh, God, no. Please don't buy this trash of a game. <laughs> oh, geez. So something that maybe they've rumored a sequel or a sequel has been released even. So I feel like during the course of those reviews, I was led down a couple of routes that ended up not bearing fruit. Okay. I was thinking of like, man, this could be like Mother 3 because you seem really cagey about the platform. And uh, mm. if I found that this was on Game Boy Advance, and that would certainly narrow it down, I think that would just about align. It might be a bit early for that, actually, but uh, it might be about right. Uh, anyways, uh, but if they were saying that a number two was coming, that wouldn't make sense because it would be four at that point. What I think is interesting in terms of the Zero Review is that they say it is an outcast of all of uh, this team or the studio's products. So I think that's interesting. Um, and the excellent soundtrack is kind of an interesting thing from the 10. So was it the studio's debut title or just kind of like the debut title of like one particular team within the studio or one particular visionary? You know how that kind of goes sometimes yeah. where you have like a Tim Schafer game under the double fine umbrella. A Yoko Taro debut. It is, a, right. I will tell you, it is a um, one team or branch of a larger entity okay 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 uh all right i have a second guess okay <laughs> finally um how about beautiful joe Ooh, oh man and that is that is a game i would pick too so uh thank <laughs> you for tugging at my heartstrings but it's not beautiful joe all right okay i still feel good about that one though um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah all right now here's what i'm gonna do last last little hint i will tell you now the platform okay it is the number six best number three most discussed and number five most shared PlayStation 2 game of 2006. Uh, all right. Um, I don't know how, how much that really helps. I think Beautiful Joe is not that lauded. It's an 87 and it's meta score. Oh, yeah, that's, that's true. That's fair. Okay. Uh, uh, no, that doesn't really fit. Um, how much... Okay, without having to make you go through and redact the entire description again, how much was I reading into the comedy aspect of this, or was I just kind of hearing what I wanted to hear? I think 
It is a game that is not always funny, but mostly funny. It is a funny premise. All right. uh, And then one final clarification question. When you say this is a PlayStation 2 game, is it an exclusive PlayStation 2 game? Uh, (laughs) I wonder if I can... You don't have to say if you don't want to. That's that's all right. I I I think yes, but it has come out on other stuff since. Okay. All right. I I think I have a answer that I'm confident in. Oh, um, okay. It is a game in which you are trying to, you know, get a girl or multiple at various points in the story. It is mm. story-based. It is uh mildly funny throughout. Is this bully? <laughs> This is bully. Oh, oh, oh <laughs> baby. <laughs> well done. Well done. Uh, the full description, bully, the brutally funny debut title from Rockstar Vancouver, takes the Rockstar <laughs> tradition of groundbreaking, innovative, original gameplay and humorous tongue-in-cheek storytelling to an entirely new setting, the schoolyard. As a troublesome schoolboy, you'll laugh and cringe as you stand up to bullies, get picked on by (laughs) teachers, play pranks on malicious kids, win or lose the girl, and ultimately learn to navigate the obstacles of the fictitious reform school, Bullworth Academy. Wow. Holy cow. That was right down to the wire. (laughs) (laughs) Well done. Well done. Very good. All right. That was a good one. Um, Thanks everyone for listening. That's been our show. Uh, We'll catch you again next week. Bye. Bye.